0: Today, I want to explore a question that, for some of us, is incredibly tough, and if it never has been, there might be a time that it's a question that we wrestle with. Why do some of our prayers go unanswered? Why is it that there are prayers that we pray to God that he seems to not answer? What do we do in the in-between moments, and where we're going, God, I asked you for this, and yet I don't? See it. Now, before I start, I want to acknowledge that I know that there are people in the room right now who are experiencing real pain, and this is not a hypothetical question. This is a reality of where you are. And and I'm going to talk about a few different things, but I I want to speak to you closer to the end. But before I do, I just want to, as loving and pastorally as I can, just go, we're glad that you're here. And my encouragement would be, don't, don't run from community. Don't just think that sitting in a room with people is enough. Draw close. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to sit in the midst of your challenge with you. In the midst of unanswered prayers, we'd love to be present with you. And so if you're dealing with difficult things, if you're dealing with some of the pain that is, that is exposed in a question like this, please don't just quickly rush out. Lean in. I want to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dig in. God, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that you guide us. God, forgive us for the times that we just try to give quick and trite answers to each other that are not helpful. Help us to hear from you. Help us to know when to speak and know when not to. God, I pray that in the midst of this moment together that you would be the one that speaks not me. God I need you and we need you. And I think about all the noise in our minds right now, all the things that are trying to distract us, all the stuff that we try to fill our minds with to avoid dealing with some of the things that are hard for us. I ask that you would still all the noise that your still small voice would speak. And that you would step into those places in our mind, in our heart, in our souls that are broken, that are struggling, and that you would bring healing and hope, and more than anything, that you would remind us that you are close. God, have your way. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question, why do some of our prayers go unanswered? How do some of our prayers go unanswered? In Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus is speaking about prayer. And he says this of effective prayer. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Opened. Now, we could hear a verse like that, and we can get encouraged. But at different seasons in our life, we go, I'm not sure I'm experiencing that. Like, that sounds awesome. So I just, and then he opens the door. I ask, and I receive. And there are moments in our life that we ask and we receive immediately. And then our, there are other moments where we go, God, where are you? You said if I pray, if I ask, you'll show up, and I did my part. It seems like you are not doing yours. And so if what Jesus is saying is true, why do some of our prayers go unanswered? First, I want you to understand that prayer is a two-way conversation with God. Some of us struggle with the idea that it's a two-way conversation, We're good at the one way. We're good at the, I'm going to tell God what I need, what I want. I'm going to say things to God. And then when there's moments to actually listen and wait in stillness, we're like, you know what? I'll just fill it with more of me. It's a two-way conversation with God. Prayer is conversational. And I'm not suggesting that when you pray, you can pray however you want to pray, but I want you to understand that you have an invitation not to use fancy-sounding words, but to bring all that you are before the creator of the universe who wants to hear from you. And there are many different kinds of prayer, all sorts of different prayers, but today I want to focus on one. I want to focus on the kind of prayer that, that includes a request. When we're praying and we're asking God for something, when we're coming to God and, and pleading, begging, or, or just simply presenting our requests before him, when we in prayer, ask something of God. And typically, when it comes to those kind of prayers, there are three potential responses that God can give us. He can say yes, or he can say not yet, or for some of us, the one that we dread the most, sometimes he says no. In Alpha this week, we we went through talking about prayer, and, uh, and we use the videos done by this guy named Nikki Gumbel, who's amazing, and he was talking about these same, same kind of responses, this yes, not yet, and no, and he s- uses the, the imagery of a stoplight, and he's going, the green light, the yellow light, and the red light. There are some prayers that God answers yes to immediately, and we know it. We go, wow, God, you are amazing. There are some prayers that we think are a no that are actually a not yet. There are times that God goes, not yet, not yet. I have something in mind, and this it's not going to happen the way that you want it to happen, but it'll be just trust me, and it's, so it's a not yet. But sometimes God says no. Sometimes we come before God, and we present in our beautiful package all the things that we would want, and he goes, yeah. No. He says no to us. Now, before we talk through some of, the, some of the, what I would consider the relational pain points, I do want us to consider, in terms of prayer and the kind of prayer that Jesus is offering, what are some of the obstacles to answered prayer? Like, what if God does want to say yes? What are the things that we actually have control over that can hinder us? So I think it's important for us. Listen, When it comes to prayer, there is a lot of stuff we can't control. Like if you try to control God, let me just tell you from experience, it does not work. God cannot be controlled. But then there are things that we are responsible for that we actually can control. And I think it's important for us to know those things and actually work through those things and consider, are any of these true in my life? If we have prayed and we aren't seeing God answer the prayer, the first thing we need to do is honestly check our hearts. Now, this is one of those could be a Christianese, like, insider language. So check your heart. And people are like, I don't know what that means. What does it mean to check my heart? It means to actually get to the root of what is going on below the surface And more accurately, for those of us that follow the way of Jesus, it means actually confronting and dealing with the unrepentant sin in our hearts. Now, this is not when we are doing what we normally do as followers of the way of Jesus, where we're going, I'm trying my best, and I'm making some mistakes, and I'm doing well in others. It's not about the ongoing process of God sanctifying and shaping us. This is when we know that there are things in our life that we should not do, and we do them willingly anyway. We're like, I know I shouldn't do that, I know, I, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. That is unrepentant sin. And unrepentant sin is incredibly difficult for us because we go, I, I just wanna do my own thing, and yet it actually presents a significant obstacle in our life to prayers being answered. Here's what I know to be true. I have not only experienced it, but I've seen it in so many people's lives. The Holy Spirit will prompt and will confront you. He'll point out areas in your life where there is growth, where there is sin, and where there are things that are leading to your destruction. He'll help you see where you are going off track. But only if we'll let him it's so interesting. For some of us, we go, I want to hear from God. I want to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, but when he speaks, we ignore him. And he says, hey, listen, I'd love to speak about your dreams and ideas, but um, you have some, some sin in your life that we need to deal with. And you go, no, 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 let's just, let's not, let's not deal with that. Let's deal with the other stuff. And he goes, yeah, we can't get there until... Some of us, we actually actively undermine what God is trying to do in our life. And when we do this, when we reject his direction, the Holy Spirit's guiding, we actually become more and more numb to his leading. The people that hear God's voice most clearly are the people that actually obey it when he speaks. And there's all sorts of different ways that God speaks, but when he does, are we willing to actually do what he asks us to do? The reality is that the more that we feed our sinful nature, the parts of us that stand in opposition from God, the more that we starve the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the converse is true. The more that we feed the Holy Spirit by doing what he asked us to do, by obeying him, surrendering to him, asking and then doing what he says, the more that we do that, we starve our sinful nature. The more we listen and obey, the more we find ourselves hearing from him. Psalm sixty-six eighteen 18 says this. In the New Living Translation, it says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the lord would not have listened the niv and other translation says it like this if i had cherished sin in my heart the lord would not have listened cherished sin that language is evocative and paints a picture it speaks to the serious attitude that we need to have about the sin that is in our lives and i want you to know that this is countercultural The way of Jesus is not like the way of the world and this in itself stands in opposition because culturally we treat anything that we wanna do as our right and yet there are some things that God says, don't do that, that'll harm you. Culturally, we have this flippant attitude like, you know what, you're just just whatever, you're doing you. And God goes, no, I have some stuff I actually need to work on in your life. In the context of the church, we talk about grace. And grace is amazing, and it is a gift. But if we use grace as an excuse to do everything that we want to do, even when God is saying don't, that becomes cheap grace. And beyond that, if we become really comfortable with our sin or we cherish it, God doesn't listen to our prayers. Like, I don't know if you thought about that. I was struck by that that reminder that when we are living in this place where we cherish sin over God, he is silent. He says no when he might say yes. And that should sit with us. There should be a weight that we experience in this because we can actually hinder our prayers by treating the sin in our life flippantly. And let me just be crystal clear, I am not suggesting that anyone in the room, that everyone in the room who is not having a prayer answered, it's because of unrepentant sin. I'm not saying, hey, that's everyone's problem or that's probably the thing. What I am suggesting is if that's the thing, we should do something about it. If that's the hindrance, then we shouldn't just go like, well, whatever. We should instead deal with it. In fact, I want to do that as a church. I, before I continue, I want to create a, a moment right now. I want to take a moment. So right now, wherever you are, close your eyes. Close your eyes. And, and I want to I pray for us, and then I want to invite you to echo this prayer in your heart. And I want us to take a moment. And for some of us, being still and silent for any length of time is difficult. And so it won't be too long, but it might be longer than you would prefer, <laughs> And so I want to pray for us, and then I want us to stop individually and actually ask the question and then listen to what God says. Let's pray. God, for each of us in the room, show us if there are places where we are cherishing sin right now, and it's holding back prayer. Holy Spirit, speak to us and come and help us to see where we are cherishing sin and it's holding us back. God, thank you that you're speaking to us, that some of us are in the room and we know exactly what that is. You've brought it to our mind. It's making our pulse quicken or feel a little bit of stress coming on. God, give us the courage to confront the things that you want to confront. not trying to force anything. We just want to hear from you. And God, if, if you have brought something to our mind, In this moment, our invitation is to repent and turn away from it and turn to you. And so I ask that you give us courage to do so. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's my encouragement. If if you heard something and maybe you responded or maybe there's something stirring, if you take a step in response and listen to God, we are so proud of you. Whether it's a big step or a small step, it it really doesn't matter. It's all significant. And as a church, we don't just wanna, we just don't wanna have this attitude where we think a couple of people hear from God actively. We wanna constantly be going, God, what are you inviting me into and where are you challenging and confronting me? And I can can share honestly and recognize for each of us that sometimes that prayer is difficult of going, is there anything in my life? Because we're like... um, the the fear we have is that God's going to take something from us that we actually kind of like, right? And we're like, "Wow, well, I've got really comfortable with that." And he goes, "Perfect. Let's 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 kill that thing so we can grow you." And you're like, oh. And so every single time that you take a step towards growth, I want you to know honestly, we're proud of you. And so I want to I want to look at a verse in John John nine verse thirty one. It says this. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. And so there's a degree you sit with that and go, oof. But then he presents a picture, an invitation for us that is so hopeful. It says, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. God is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Now, just as an aside, I've had people that's like, how do I figure out God's will in my life? And I think for some of us, this can be a challenging wrestle, and we want to wrestle through that with you. But it's important that you understand that the goal is not just knowing God's will for our life, but doing God's will in our life. It's not just about knowing I think we can know certain things and go, yeah, I know what God's asking me to do, but the strength and power is actually in doing. There is action to our belief that God himself pays attention to, draws closer into. As we step out and do what he's asking us to do, that he responds and meets us, and he is ready to hear those who listen, those who worship and do his will. And so if there is unanswered prayer in your life, I want you to honestly and through the week reflect, are there any, is there any sin that I'm not addressing that the Holy Spirit would like me to that's holding me back? Next, we need to honestly consider our motives for what we're asking. James 4 verse 3 says this, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. When you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. God loves us, and God is close, even right now in this room, but he is not willing to be mocked. And if we are trying to use God for our own selfish ambitions, If we see God and prayer like God as the genie, if we just whisper a certain incantation words in the right order or do a certain thing, turn three times counterclockwise and face east. Like for some of us, there is a reality. I've been here where you're trying to negotiate with God. I'll do whatever and you're trying anything that you possibly can. If we treat God like that, he does not abide that. God is the creator of the universe and he is close and he's also the creator of the universe. And God's desire for us that follow him is to live lives lives of humility and deepening trust in him. Faith in him and desire for his direction, not ours. And if we are only focused on ourself, our prayers become self-centered And when self is at the center, it creates a problem. And that's not to say that we don't ever pray for ourselves, a request that we have. It is to say that when we pray for ourselves that we're constantly doing it with an open hand where we go, I'm not so attached to me getting what I think I want that I'm unwilling to to answer or to actually have you give me what I need. We hold in tension. Our heart actually matters as we're praying, as we're coming before God himself. And when we pray in a way that is so self-centered and self at the the only center, our prayers actually become answer-resistant. And so unrepentant sin can hold back our prayers, and wrong motives and self at the center can hold back our prayers. The next one is a contentious one in the context of the church, and it's been weaponized by people. Our lack of faith may hold our prayers back, or they may hold us back. Now, historically, there have been groups of people that have gone to others and going, well, the reason you're not being healed is you just don't have enough faith. And so we use that as this thing, and you go, no one ever has enough faith. And it becomes this difficult place where where if we believe that to be true, I I think if we're always going, well, it's clearly you, and it's clearly a lack of faith, I think if we look at Scripture, we would find some things that uh, that would say otherwise. Because Jesus actually talks about faith as small as a mustard seed moving mountains. And the truth is that there are seasons in our life where that's about all we can muster. A mustard seed is tiny, and we barely have anything, and Jesus goes, oh, I can use that. I've seen people with way more faith than I have not have their prayers answered. And I think it can just be a quick way out to go, well, clearly you didn't have enough faith, because we just don't know. And I think it's harmful to go, well, just have more faith, and you're like, I'm praying with every bit of faith that I have, and you're like, well, clearly it's not enough, and it puts unnecessary and unhelpful pressure Unanswered prayer may have something to do with a lack of faith or divided faith, or it may be something else. But I look at Mark 9, verse 24 as a powerful example for us. Jesus has been invited to cast out a demon, out of a boy, and heal him. And this dad is requesting that Jesus would heal his son, but there is a tension that the dad feels. And I think we can relate to it. And he doesn't want to get his hopes up. And he says to Jesus, help us if you can. And Jesus responds, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And here we find his response. And it is so human and helpful for us. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. The truth is, I've had moments in my life where I've made God smaller and where I feel this tension. I've had moments where I feel like, God, I want you to do this. I see it, but I can't see it. I don't know how. I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. I think that that is a healthy and humble posture for us to have in our daily life with God. I do believe that there are prayers that God is asking us to pray that without him seem completely impossible. One of the things that I pray for is revival, is life from dead things, from dry bones. Praying for revival in our city, in our region, in our province, in our nation but I also comprehend at some level without God moving, that is impossible. And I know he can do it. God, I believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. And I'm not suggesting that if we pray to God that he has to do it. We just have to have more faith and then he will do it, But I do believe that there are some people in the room that had a dream in their hearts that they've quieted and put in the closet and went, you know what, it probably just will never happen. And I wonder if maybe God's invitation is to believe that again, is to pray again. Because God wasn't saying no, he was saying not yet. And I don't know who that is. What if we came again to God and saying, are there dreams that you have? Are there things that you asked me to pray that you, you didn't want me to give up on? You just were slower than I wanted you to be, but your timing was perfect. I mean, I've lived those things out. I'm not saying that's fun. If you've been around collective, if you've seen James up here often doing giving, and the time between when when. I was praying actively for James to come to faith and when he did was a 10-year process. And I had so many moments that I, when I blew it, I made a mistake, I messed it up, I didn't do enough of this or whatever, and yet I still kept going with honestly at times a mustard seed of faith. God, just give me an opportunity. Give me a door. Open something up. And then 10 years later, through all sorts of incredible things, God came, or J- James came to God, came to faith in God. And suddenly all of that was like a, it's like nothing. <laughs> and I sit there and think, for us, how many of us have prayers and dreams and things that we believe God has said that we just go, you know what, it hasn't happened, so I just might give up. It dovetails with, one of the things that is so important for us that can be an obstacle is our lack of persistence and perseverance with prayer. See, God is able to do more than we might ask for or imagine if it is his will. But Jesus talks, even in the verse I read at the beginning, and about knocking repeatedly. He has multiple parables in Luke and John about people who are persistent. They don't just ask once. They ask over and over and over again. And for them, their answer is no at first. And then with persistence and perseverance, eventually the answer becomes yes. They don't don't just accept the first no. They continue to ask until the answer is yes. Yes. And it reveals some things in our heart because for some of us, we go, this prayer is so important to me. I, I, I want this in my life. But if we were to be honest in our reflection, we go, well, based on how I pray about it, maybe that's not true because I pray once a year for this thing. Or I prayed one time and God didn't answer it, so I gave up. And instead here, we see this pattern of of repetition, of persistence, of perseverance, of going, God, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. Until you you shut the door completely, I'm going to keep asking. I think for us, we need to make sure that if something is really important, that we actually pray with persistence. I had one of... One of the experiences for me in my life more recently where that was a reality where we have an HQ, we call it, or office space in a church called Mount Zion. And long before we ever got into it, I had this profound sense that we were supposed to have space there. And so I began to walk it and pray it. It's about a 35 minute walk from our house, and I'd walk. 35 minutes and I'd circle it and I'd be praying and I'd be asking God give a space here, open a door somehow and then I would walk home. I had one time where, where I was walking and I felt really clearly and I, let me just be clear, I don't, it's not like this happens all the time, it's not like every single day God goes do this but sometimes he does and I had one where he's like I want you to walk around it seven times and I was like I don't want to and not because I don't mind the exercise, because I'm concerned that the neighbors will be like, this guy is casing this church. Like he just keeps circling it. <laughs> is he trying to find a way in? And yet I reluctantly, admittedly, listened to God and did what he asked me to do and went, okay, I did what he asked. And a little while later, we had the prayer team meet us at the building. and. <laughs> We hid, <laughs> we hid in behind the building so that no one would wonder why there's this group of adults standing around the outside of the church. And we spent time there, and then we prayed together. And, and they shared things, and I was sharing, and Lee was sharing our hearts. And, and our sense was that God was opening doors. But honestly, at that moment, I was like, I don't know how. I see no way how. I have no idea. But I'm just going con- to continue to be persistent. And if you know me at all, you know I am not good with patience. Like if you ever want to know the one prayer that I'm very hesitant to pray, it's God give me patience, because I know how He does it. He makes me wait for things and He develops patience. And so I here I am for a year I'm praying for the building. We pray as a worship team or as a prayer team. And no joke, I get in the car, I look at my email, and I got an email from them right then. Right then. And they're like, hey, we'd love to meet and have you. We'd love to talk about renting up some space. I was like, God, you're the greatest. And also, I hate some of this, (laughs) you know, like some of the challenges of going, you don't always work in the speed that I want, but when you do, it's perfect. And I think for some of us, we have prayers in our life that, that have long since had any kind of urgency or persistence, and we just kind of flippantly are like, oh, yeah, I remember that one thing. Yeah, God, whatever, do it, or whatever. What, what if instead our posture needs to be, God, please, please, and if you want, if you don't want to do it, please close that desire. Please change change. That, that request for prayer, and instead turn to what you want. God, do that. But in the meantime, I, I'm going to keep asking until you clearly close the door. Be persistent. In your prayers, perseverance matters. Don't give up praying. If you have family members, if you have friends that don't yet know Jesus, don't give up praying keep praying. Every single moment of every single day, asking God to show up, to open doors. Don't give up. Because I think about some of the things in our life. Let's just look at some of the people that we love. And if we had to pray 15 years for them all the time, but they came to faith, wouldn't it be worth it? You know, if we had to spend the rest of our life praying, but they came to faith near the end of our life, wouldn't it be worth it? Absolutely. So let's pray with persistence and perseverance. The reality is that there are many things when it comes to prayer that aren't in our control, but the things I listed, they are. We can actually control how we deal with the unrepentant sin in our life. We can control how willing we are to be to search our motives and self-centeredness in the midst of our prayers. We can become ruthless about putting to death anything that is not Jesus in us. We can put to death any desire in our heart that is harmful and selfishly motivated and we can align our motives with God. And we can pray with faith, perseverance, and persistence. But what do we do if we've done all of that? All of that is true? That we've handled all of that and God still isn't answering our prayers? We've repented of sin. We've prayed without ourselves at the center. We're praying with persistent and perseverant faith. And this is where it can become incredibly difficult for those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because what do we do when we've done all the things that we know to do and it seems like he is still not listening? I want to look at Paul's life as a significant example of this in reality. When God doesn't answer a prayer, when God says no to Paul. In 2 Corinthians, Paul shares about a thorn in The flesh. Now you think about this picture. When you have a thorn in your flesh, it's all you feel, it's all you notice, and you just want to remove that bad boy as quickly as you can. And Paul says specifically that this thorn in his flesh was meant to keep him from becoming proud, but that it it tormented him. That language is significant and powerful, tormenting him. Torment is not a small or neutral thing. It isn't the kind of frustration you feel when God doesn't get you a good parking spot or maybe the job promotion doesn't work out like you hope it might. It's the pain of something that is hurting you deeply and repeatedly. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse eight, Paul says, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about what my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now notice here that when he's asking God to remove the thorn in his flesh, he's not just asking, he's begging. You ever beg God? I've begged God. Before we started Collective Church, I would be out in, we, we lived north of here, and I'd be out in a field begging God, pleading with God, bargaining with God, trying to negotiate with God. Paul is begging and God says, no. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so then Paul's reflection, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. This Tension can be hard for us to hear and it can create some, some conflict in countercultural viewing the way of Jesus versus the way of the world. Because the way of the world is continual self-improvement and continual actualization and continual life getting easier and simpler and better. And yet this is not the way of Jesus God is not offering that everything will always work out perfectly. Instead, what he is offering is his grace in the midst of it. And he's reminding us that all we actually need is his grace. His reminder is that our weakness is perfect room for his power to be made perfect, And the truth is that there are times, sometimes, when God actually weakens us so that we can actually be vessels of his power, not try to do it on our own, so that Jesus's power can work through us. And I've experienced this in my life, and I would be a liar if I said this is an enjoyable thing, but I can tell you on the other side it's worth it. Talk to anyone that has followed Jesus for 20 plus years and they would have experiences of times when in the midst of their weaknesses, God actually was strong and God said no to them, but God did exceedingly more in them and through them than they could on their own and it was important for their life. And we see in verse 10 that Paul says, it's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses Like, you want to talk about counterculture? Take pleasure in my weaknesses. Take pleasure in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. I think for so many of us, we have settled for this idea of following Jesus that is easy and doesn't cost us everything. And we think that winning according to the world standard is winning, and we are winning at what is actually killing us. We see in Paul something different. And then he says for again, for when I am weak, then I am strong. If our goal is to be strong, inevitably we will recognize our limitations and find that we aren't as strong as we'd like to be. Do you want to know why many people are struggling with with anxiety and depression and burnout. It's because they realize that as finite human beings, they actually have limits and are not God. And in contrast to what all sorts of things are telling us that are saying, you are, God's within you. We are learning by experience that is not true. That we are weak, that we have limitations that we're not nearly as strong and resilient as we think we could or should be. But if we will submit our weaknesses to God, who is above all, we find strength in someone above ourselves. We find strength not from within, but from him. And rather than being the focus, the focus is Jesus at work in us. And one of the challenges is as we pray, sometimes we're praying for a solution to a problem we think we know the solution for. We're like, God, if you can just send me that person, give me that job, do that thing for me, then everything will be good. But let me just suggest to you, as lovingly as I can, but strongly, anything that we are looking for outside of Jesus that we think will complete us will inevitably fail us. It will not be enough. No human being is perfect. No situation is perfect. No, nothing else is perfect. Jesus himself offers a better and different way. The goal for us must be finding our identity and our wholeness in Jesus alone. And then everything flows out of that. And I know that even in hearing that, you go, I don't know how to reconcile that, and that is hard for me. But the reality is, if we think about it, I think we can think through examples. I have them in my own life and people I've been around, where I see this at work. A few weeks ago, my daughter Ava and I flew to Calgary for the celebration of life of one of my friends named Ken Reed. And Ken was, had a profound impact on me. He was a church planter and a pastor. And then the church that I worked at in Calgary, he uh, was a worship leader. And Ken more recently was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And about six months ago, when we came out to Calgary, I, I, it was really important for me to spend time with Ken. And so I went and spent time with him. And Ken believes in healing. And Ken sat with me, and he's like, because my conviction is I'm like, I'm... I'm gonna at least pray for healing. I don't know what God wants to do. And he had this beautiful perspective where he's like, Tyler, I believe God can heal and I'm okay if he doesn't. I trust him no matter what. And he sat there. Here's this man who is not just thinking about the end coming. This is close for him. It's not a concept. Like all of us at some level go, yeah, death could happen but he's actually coming face-to-face of recognizing that his life is coming to an end, and yet he's challenging and encouraging me. I walked out of that room, and I cried my face off. I called Lee, and I was just so impacted and moved because what I saw is someone who actually walked with Jesus his whole life, and he's not sitting and looking at his circumstances and going, see, woe is me, I'm feeling this. He's going, see, where I'm weak, he is strong, and it wasn't a concept anymore. This peace that surpasses understanding wasn't just something we say to other Christians to make us feel better. It was something that he was actually living out. We've seen this. That's why it's so important for us to be around other people as they're navigating things and to learn. It's why we need the older generation that says, God, I've done this over the long haul. Trust me. It's so important for us to see that God's strength and power is made perfect in the midst of our weakness. But I also want to recognize, in the midst of those things, say it is a Ken who has a prayer request of full healing and it does not happen. I want to speak to us as Christians and just remind you, sometimes it isn't helpful for us to try to explain what God is up to. Sometimes when we feel this pressure, we're like, I gotta give an answer and I gotta tell them, well, this is why. And actually, it'll all work out. And, and sometimes God will ask us to say that. I'm learning more often, God says, shh. And instead, the invitation is for us to take what we find in Romans 12 seriously and simply weep with those who are weeping being faithfully present. I think that there's something so important. Listen, I don't need to, and you don't need to try to make sense of everything that God's ever done, and we don't have to explain God to people in a way that we're going, well, I I don't know, I feel like I need to defend God. He doesn't need our defense. Instead, we are reminded that God says, I draw near to the brokenhearted, and I think that our invitation is to do the same is to weep with those who weep. And we're reminded in the midst of all of that how important community is. More and more in our culture we are told that individual is king and more and more we find ourselves struggling what if the design that God has for honest community, where we wrestle with each other, weep with each other, we cry together, we wrestle with, with what God's up to, when we wrestle with what it means, and we wrestle with all the pain of the meantime, and we wrestle with the prayers that are answered and the prayers that aren't in the context of community? What if that is actually the picture? cuz i'm telling you i've watched people that are dealing with challenging things and when they isolate they almost never move towards health by themselves they go by themselves and they sit in dysfunction and it percolates and it's harmful and i and it breaks my heart And we want to be the kind of community where we don't always have all the answers, but we want to weep when you weep, feel the pain when you feel the pain, and go, I don't know why God's not answering that, but I do know that we can trust him, and I've seen him at work, but I don't know. But I'm not going anywhere, and neither is he. The invitation for us to build this kind of community, I think, has substantial effects on our community, and can offer a, a beautiful countercultural picture of what it means to be human. If you're standing right now in the in between, in between the prayer that you've prayed and the prayer that has not been answered, we want to stand with you. We want to believe for you, and we want to be with you, we want to support you. As a community, we wanna be the people that are actually doing this together. And and I recognize that it does bring up some things, especially where you go, well, what do we do with suffering? What do we do with the suffering that's in our world? And I I wanna talk about that in a couple of weeks. Why does God allow suffering? But I want to specifically to the group of people right now that are in the in-between, I wanna just say, We don't want you to not feel what you're feeling and put on a shiny, happy Christian face and act like everything's good. We want all of the the mess. We want the parts of you that are like, I don't know and I'm angry. Bring it all. Because you know who else wants that? God himself. We look at the Psalms, and we look at what David writes, and he doesn't hold back anything. And the invitation for us in the midst of whatever we're going through is to not hold back anything. God does not want sanitized, the sanitized version of us. And I just want to say as a community, neither do we. Because in the honest wrestle, in the honestly feeling what you feel, then we can begin to work through and if nothing else, we can at least go, you can know, not, you're, just, you're not loved when things are good, you're loved all the time recognizing, even in the midst of all of your stuff and junk, that you are loved more than you imagine. We wanna build the kind of community that looks different. But I am pleading with you, for those of you that are in the room that are going, ah, I'm not sure what God's up to, and I'm really close to just giving up on him, I wanna plead with you, don't. Maybe what he's doing is saying, not yet, but maybe in the midst of it, he's just trying to draw you closer. Maybe in the midst of it, he is getting you to the end of yourself so you can be actually integrated into community. I don't know, and I don't wanna try to make sense of all of that, but I do wanna invite you, trust in him again in this moment, or let us trust in him for you. Allow him to lead. I want you to know, we know this side of heaven, there is death and decay and heartbreak. And we can't always make sense of what happens. But as Christians, our hope is beyond what we see. We do know that there is a place beyond here that there are no more tears. And as followers of Jesus, we are praying for that kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And we live in the in. Between, for all of us, wherever we are at, maybe today is the day that you pray again, God, your will be done. Maybe today is the day that you find yourself at the end of yourself and you don't even know the way forward. I wanna suggest to us a way forward for all of us. In Romans eight twenty six, it says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. You ever groaned? Groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. In our weakness, over time the Holy Spirit helps us to pray in a way that is in harmony with God's will doesn't always look like we expect. I can tell you from experience that often it looks better, but sometimes it looks harder. But over time, our hearts and our minds and our souls are conformed to his will. And so I want to suggest to you a couple of possible next steps wherever you are Maybe you're in the room and and the question you need to honestly wrestle, not just on a Sunday and not just in this moment together, but as you leave. God, is there anything in my life that I can control that you're asking me to deal with? Is it repentance? Is it community? Is it my heart? Whatever it is. And have courage to ask it. And if you want to even take this up and you're an overachiever... Spend some time with a friend that you love and ask them the same question. Anything you see in my life that you think I need to deal with? This is a dangerous question, but what if it's holding you back from from where God actually wants you to be and it's an invitation to move forward? Maybe the, the wrestle is to believe and pray again, but maybe... What you need to do is do none of those things and simply just weep in community. We have the prayer team that's going to be up during worship or just after worship and after the service. We have an amazing team of amazing people. Maybe you need to unburden yourself with what you're dealing with. You need to talk to one of them and share it and actually let them see you and not try to present some version of you that you think that they'll appreciate, but instead go, I'm gonna lay it down Maybe God's invitation is for you to actually just feel what you feel with other Christians, not by yourself. I want to pray for us, but my invitation is to respond as God's asked. Maybe what I said, none of that is what you know you need to do, but God's asking to do something. Do that.